Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm so happy to have Helena Mooney on the episode with us. Thanks so much, Helena. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Helena Mooney is an aware parenting instructor and a parenting by connection instructor. And she's been supporting families with these beautiful ways of parenting for over 10 years. She loves to help mums to create deeply connected families where the both parents and children can thrive and have fun together. She is the host of the Parenting with Play podcast, and she works with parents both one-to-one as well as offering some courses and online programs. And she is the mother to two beautiful children of her own, aged 14, about to be 14, I think, and eight, and she lives in Sydney. So welcome to the episode, Helena. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Joss. Thank you. So would you like to start by briefly just sharing how you discovered Aware Parenting and what it was about it that expanded your heart and made you fall in love with this approach enough to then become an instructor and to support other families with this way? Yes, absolutely. I had Emily nearly 14 years ago and I started, I'd done some personal development before I came pregnant. So I went, oh, okay, I, I now know what we need to do to raise small children. I can do this. And I was reading books and I'm going, this sounds great. All I need to do is just keep my baby close to me, not let them cry, feed them on demand and everything will be great. And I actually thought I was going to nail this. I thought it really can't be that hard. People have been parenting for thousands of years. It can't be that hard. So I had a lovely water birth. I breastfed on demand. I carried her all the time. We co-slept. And so I was following a classic attachment parenting approach, which all the books said would then lead to a really calm baby. (laughs) That was not the case with me at all. And um, although I loved it in many ways, but I then just got exhausted. Emily wasn't sleeping. It was taking hours for her to go to sleep. She would wake regularly. She was on me all the time. Um, And then she started having tantrums before she was even one. So um, I was at a total loss because I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be punishing. I didn't want to do cry it out. I didn't want to do anything harsh. But then I was going, well, this alternative thing that I'm doing, which felt very much out on a limb doing because most of my normal friends weren't doing this at all. Um, So I was like, well, I I really don't know because nothing's working. And then I found Marion Rose. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) And started having sessions with her. And And that was just like, oh my goodness, this is it. This is exactly what I've been needing. It's very much based on the attachment principles about keeping our babies close, being really responsive to their needs. And the missing piece is about emotions. And that was just like a complete revelation. And I also found it really hard because I had done uh, what? I had my first session with Marion, I think when Emily was about 10 months old. So I had spent 10 months apart from when she was three weeks old, I listened to a cry because I read Marion's summary of the wear baby and listened to a cry then. And I thought that was amazing then. And then just thought, well, this is weird. Who listens to, who listens to babies cries? You know, you're meant to do everything either to ignore them or to stop them from crying. So I then sort of totally forgot about it. But then when I got to 10 months old and desperate, and then well, everything that Marion was saying just made total sense. And because you know, I, I know that I needed to cry and I needed to talk about what was going on for me and I needed somebody to really be with me. So then to offer that to my child was just like, oh, okay. And learning how to say no and set limits because I think that that was sleep and saying no was the two catalysts that I really was completely, um, I had no idea how to do. So then I started 
to do that and started to listen to feelings, which I found really hard to begin with, really hard because I said I'd done everything to not listen so that she wouldn't cry. I thought if I was meeting all of her needs, she would have no need to cry. So then to realize that actually we all have a need to release our upset feelings through crying was intellectually brilliant, but I found it physically hard to do to begin with. But then as I got more comfortable on it, it was just like, oh, this is amazing. She's starting to sleep better. She's not hitting me as much. She's, it's, I now know how to respond to her. And then I continued to have sessions and to devour everything that Aletha wrote, all of her books. Um, and this is quite a long time ago. This, uh, this is the 14 years, 13 years ago. So there weren't Facebook groups. There weren't podcasts. <laughs> you know, it, it was really, we had to really actively search this out. And then, yeah, I was listening to her feelings. That was really helpful. And then, but after a while, I didn't realize at the time I focused mainly on listening to upset feelings and crying. I didn't really pick up about the play for some reason. I think because it was so extraordinary to actually hold my baby in her arms, in my arms and listen to her cry that I could just only focus on one thing at the time. Um, And then it was probably about another year, I'd say, properly until I started getting into play. And then that just opened everything up so much more and made everything so much easier. So definitely I focused mainly on the crying and then the play. But it was such a contrast to how I'd been raised from a very loving family um, and from what I was seeing around me, that it was quite hard doing it on my own. And there was a few of us trying this weird approach out. And um, and then the more I did it, the more passionate I got. And I'm going, well, this is it. This is what everybody needs to know because it just makes life so much easier. So yeah, here I am 13 wow. years later. <laughs> wow. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. It's such a common story for people to share how they found this approach. It's so frequently the case that people come to it from this classical attachment style and feeling bemused and confused and overwhelmed and lost, actually, Mm -hmm. and thinking, well, hang on a minute, I've done all these beautiful things to support my children, and yet it's not enough because they have lots of emotions and they're not sleeping and they're crying and they're raging, and that's not supposed to happen. And then we quite often go into the, well, what have I done wrong? And all that sort of guilt and all that added stuff. Totally, yes. And then we find this missing piece, this beautiful, beautiful piece about aware parenting that sets it apart from all these other paradigms, which is this, this supporting our children to heal this piece around releasing our emotions and, and our children releasing their emotions too. And then, of course, it's quite another thing actually doing it, isn't it? And I really heard in your story, and and I experienced that too, this sense of feeling so alone and it being so different to what everybody else is doing and so different to what we receive too and how crucial it is in that process to get the support of, like you had Marion, I had Marion too, and um, sessions with Aletha as well, and reading all of Aletha's amazing books and, and how we had to really go out there and find this information in order to get the answers that we needed and to support us to do something so differently to everybody else. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, it was hard. I was explaining to my daughter the other day that we'd, some, a couple of us would like stop other people in the street if they were wearing a particular type of baby carrier because nobody wore baby carriers then. And we'd go, oh, do you do this attachment parenting thing? Come and join our gang. <laughs> so we were, because my children now take it for granted that this is just the way we are. But I was going, no, in the early days, we had to really actively seek people out and support out in order to do this, this different way of parenting. Yeah. And there were so many loud voices. I mean, I remember in my mother's group, for example, I had to just leave my mother's group because after a year of going and and finding it so demoralizing and so depressing and everybody's saying, well, of course your child doesn't sleep. You've got to do control crying. And I was not willing to do that. And then I was just left completely on my own. I mean, fortunately I had a a friend who, who also discovered this at the same time, but really it's just it, yes, it was It was a very different way back then, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more and more mainstream, but it's interesting that our children just presume that this is how yeah. it is. Yeah, it's just the way life is. So one of the core aspects of aware parenting is attachment play, and I know that that's something that you're really passionate about and really help lots of families to, to use this, this amazing tool in our families to support our children. And in case people aren't familiar who are listening with with what attachment play is, 
are you able just to give a brief sort of overall summary of what it means to you? Yeah, I view it that it's a way of connecting with our children to help them help them move through some upset feelings that they might be having to help them reconnect with us and really to have fun together because play elicits laughter and close connection and laughter is a great way to really stress and so when we bring connection to our children and we help them release tension then they feel so much better their challenging behavior goes away and life becomes much easier and more enjoyable together it's not quite the Aletha Salter way of describing it but it is the way of just really being with our children in in a an enjoyable way but it's also helpful and I think some people can go oh play's a bit frivolous or my children will just go and play over there and then whilst I'm getting work you know doing the washing up or doing dinner or something like that but actually it's a way to be with our children that is is more powerful than we would initially give it credit for because there's ways of particularly I think when we think about children and they are powerless so much of the time like we tell them when they've got to get in the car whether they go to school whether they go to daycare what time to go to bed what time to get up you know there's so much that we decide that they don't actually have control over so those pockets of time when we can play with them we do it in a way where we help our children to feel more powerful to be able to feel faster than us to tell us what to do to feel strong and and be in charge. And those at times help to counter all of those other times when they're not feeling powerful. And it actually really helps them to, to release their upset feelings through a bit of laughter with us. And so that they are then able to, to cope really well back in the world again with all those things that they don't have control of, particularly if they're away from us at daycare or at school, having that those moments of time with us it just fuels them to be able to to enjoy life fully actually mm. Mm, yes yeah I totally agree that's a beautiful description and I would really recommend anybody listening to this to buy Aletha's book Attachment Play which is just such a beautiful clear concise summary of how this works mm. and and how to do it and how to support our children in this beautiful way and it's such a win-win isn't it play because like you say, it's it's having fun. It's bringing a bit of lighthearted laughter to the serious business of raising our children. Um, it reduces stress for us and for our kids. It yes. strengthens our relationship and builds that strong attachment. And it solves behavior challenges. It helps our children to cooperate. And in fact, they're, they're really, it's an anytime, like anywhere, any situation strategy, isn't it? There is no situation where play can't help because even if it's our children are crying and they're not responding to the play, often it's that playful connection that allows them to access the feelings underneath. So, I mean, I used to have this uh, motto, which was, if in doubt, play with my children because it, there really is it works a treat. It's like magic for every, every challenge of parenting. It is. And for, as you said, for us, as well as our children, like I always feel much more loving towards my children after I've played with them. I'm much more patient and relaxed with them afterwards. So I feel I benefit from it as well. And I have a chance to laugh too. Mm. Um, it really is. And I often share about how to do it strategically and then tactically. So, you know, if you're having difficulty with your child, just to set aside 10 minutes, and this doesn't have to take a long time. This is the beauty of it. It's not something which you could talk about for hours. It's like five minutes of play can just work wonders. And if you have that sort of peppered throughout your week at a time that's convenient to you because your child will want to play anytime and you set aside 10 15 minutes three or four times a week that in itself will start to turn everything around and then like you said you can do it whenever you start to see your child is going getting a little bit whiny or a little bit antsy then you go okay what is my child needing right now and it's generally two key things one is connection with you even though you might be with them all the time, there's a difference about that that quality of connection, isn't there? When you're to being just pottering around the house together, or actually being together in a in a delight where you delight in your child, 
um, and emotional release. And play brings both of that. So I really try and encourage like a playful response, just a playful attitude and try and have play as one of your first responses. Like you, you know, if in doubt, play, have that as your first response. And then if your child is angry and antsy and ugh, doesn't like it, well, then that's that's a time to listen to feelings. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's really it's really nice that oh, sometimes we don't have capacity to play. Sometimes the thought of playing with our children is like, oh, God, it's just another job. It's another thing to do. I don't have the energy. I'm not in the right frame of mind. I, d- I don't want to do it. And that's just that's great because that's a real sign telling us that it's time for us to go and get some support for ourselves. And it's really only when we've we've feeling supported and we've taken moments to meet our own needs that then we can play and, and connect with our children from a, a really joyful, yes, I want to do this place rather than a chore, an extra job, another thing that we just have to do. And I loved how you were talking about the the two different ways that we can use attachment play. One in the moment when there's a situation coming up that we need to respond to our children in or elicit their cooperation with. And the other is just more generally to, to strengthen our relationship and to, to build that connection. So thanks for thanks for clarifying that. If we just sort of go through and talk about some of the key types of attachment play, are you happy to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first one that I'd love to talk about is, as you've mentioned already, this non-directive child-centered play. And I love that we can borrow from hand in hand this term special time, which is yes. um, a slightly easier way of saying <laughs> it. So, I mean, I, I I love special time. I've done it with my kids for years and I still do it with my kids now, even though they're 18 and 16. But why is it so important for us to offer our children special time? And, and how do you do it with your kids? Well, first of all, I think it's so important because like I said, we can just be, and parents might say, well, I'm with my children all the time or, or we do special time on the day that their eldest is at school or daycare and we just go to the shops and we just hang out. And, and I'm going, well, that's what we're talking about here is something very different. It's, it's a very specific way of being with your child. Again, it doesn't have to be for very long, but it's where you don't do anything else. You're not just sort of surreptitiously doing jobs, you know, chores, picking up as you're going along. It's focused time with your child where you actively delight in them and you allow them to do whatever they want. They get to choose what to do time with you, which again helps with that role reversal, that power where normally it's us telling our children what to do. So they get to tell us, we delight in them. And sometimes you might go, I really don't want to play trains or again or dolls again oh my god kill me now but actually if you focus on looking at your child and um marion describes this about so just note the wonder of how beautiful your child is or looking at their hands or their face or their hair or or focusing on something that you do delight on rather than the actual necessarily the activity that the more that you do that then you really actually get to enjoy what your child is doing. My my 13-year-old, um, uh, she made me watch Stranger Things. <laughs> that was our special time. And I'm going, this is a very stressful program. I'm not really enjoying this to begin with. <laughs> now I love it. I'm totally into it. But to begin with, I'm like, Emily, this is so stressful. So not what I would choose to watch. But she she'd watched it all already. And she was just taking, she loved the fact that she was sharing that with me and we were doing it together. It, and that was a really, as they get older, they don't want to play trains. It's often screen-based or it can be other activities. But in this case, I was entering her world, her teenage world of Stranger Things. And now we've got that common commonality and we can talk about it, refer to it and watch silly TikTok videos about it. Um, so you're entering into their world. Um, and with my son, it's Lego or generally wrestling on the bed, which is what he chooses to do. So, yeah. I thought you, what do you do with your teenagers? Yeah, well, I was thinking when you were talking about Stranger Things, it's really nice, isn't it? And that brings in a bit of the power reversal for us because sometimes my daughter wants to watch something with me and something like Stranger Things, I, I found... I only watched the first episode because I found it quite scary because I'm really, I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to things it is that scary. are frightening. <laughs> um, and so she got to be the brave one and I was sort of sitting on the sofa, like not looking through my hands. And that was just this gorgeous extra element. And of course I hammed it up a little bit because, <laughs> but um, what do we do? So uh, with my son, we do lots of laughter and silliness. He's got this wonderful sense of humor and he just cracks jokes the whole time. And so um, we might be recently when he came down, 
he was showing me this amazingly funny um, thing on TikTok about fart jokes um, where there was a guy who was filming people making fart noises and then filming people's response out in public. And I mean, we were like, I was actually on the floor. I was in pain. I was laughing so much. We were both just cracking up. So it's usually something around laughter or it could be playing a game. We played this game where he, he's got this amazing knowledge about music. And so we play a game where I play him the first five seconds of a song on his phone and he has to tell me who it's by and and what the song's called and he always gets it right wow. and even though he's got like six trillion songs he he's just got this one that's one of his superpowers so that's a game that we play and with my daughter I think it's things like we have tried to have like day together day once a week because she's homeschooled so we have lots of time so we usually spend a day together where she gets to choose pretty much what we do each day and that's really lovely and then we do lots of dancing games again there's some of that power reversal thing where she's teaching me she's making a move and I have to copy her and then I make a move and she copies me and of course she's much more skilled at dancing than I am and we have this she, we made up a silly dance well she made up a silly dance to this song from a movie recently and so every now and then she'll go and just put that song on and it's like a cue that I have to get up, stop whatever I'm doing. And we both stand there and do this silly dance. So those are the sorts of things that we're doing. But I do remember the days of mummy, can we play trains where you're just oh. like, no, please. And my daughter used to love this game that she invented called orphanages. She's probably going to kill me for sharing this. <laughs> But she wanted to play this game that she either she was the orphan or I was the orphan. And we were in an orphanage and this parent came and chose us and took us <laughs> home. And literally for about six months, we would play orphanages every time we did special time. Wow. And sometimes we would do special time together where the kids, they used to love this game where they would jump up and down on the trampoline and I would have a ball a softball that I would be throwing at them and that if I hit them, they had three lives, that kind of thing. So that sometimes we used to do it together and they would choose um, if we used to call it, if the ball hits the kids. And so they would say, oh, let's play if the ball hits the kids. And that was a good one because the dog would retrieve the ball and bring it back to me. And it oh, had awesome. a nice end because the ball would get disgusting and, and full of saliva at some stage. And that's when the game <laughs> would end. But yes, um, I love that description. It's such a, such a powerful such a powerful way to connect and it's ideal to do it one one-on-one -on -one with one yeah. child but I've done it if I've had um particularly my daughter had this friend who I used to have her one day a week and my friend used to have my daughter one day a week so they'd had they'd spend a lot of time together and they'd get quite stroppy with each other sometimes you know when they're really little like three and um so then sometimes I go okay let's um Emily you choose what special you know we'll do five minutes special time and Bella and I will do whatever you say and then okay that would finish then I go Bella right you choose and Emily and I will do whatever you say and that then just helps so much because then that gave a, a sense of agency to each child um we both did what they wanted they both had to turn at it and then that was it and then they would go off and play really happily um with each other afterwards so if there's a bit of a power imbalance that can really help, I think, with with multiple children, because then the one who's feeling weaker then gets a chance to be in charge. And but it's also very equal that mm. every child gets that. Yeah, I love that. I, I definitely have done that with mine, too. Where They each had a turn to choose what we did, but it was together. Yeah. Mm. And of course, the other thing about the um, non-directive child-centered play is that we often set a timer. Do you, do you want to talk a bit about that and how, how that is helpful for us and for our children? Yeah, a lot of people don't like the timer aspect of it initially because they go, well, I don't want to put a time on the time that I'm spending with my child. But when we say like, actually, what's really helpful is that it provides a container so that you know that you've only got to spend, you know, 10 minutes playing trains that you can go, okay, I can do this for 10 minutes. But then your child also knows that during that time, you're not going to answer a phone call. You're not going to go and do something else. So it really contains that specialness between the two of you. But it also acts as a catalyst. So if you can see that if you know your child has got upset feelings brewing, connecting with them first, doing some special time um, and following their lead and connecting with them in that way is brilliant for forming that sort of time where they can then just like relax into you into into your love the timer then goes off and then they might go but five more minutes I need five more minutes and my daughter used to then go but you never play with me at the end of it and so it would be the catalyst for these upset feelings to come out come up and out and it can be directed at the timer and the fact that special time has ended 
but it's all these feelings that they've been holding on to. Like my daughter saying, you've never spent time with me was obviously something that she was feeling at the time, even though I had just spent a lot of time with her. So it allows all of these upset feelings that are brewing to come out. And by doing it strategically at a time that's convenient to you, you could like, you know, if you've got half an hour spare, do 15 minutes of special time. And if you think your child is going to need to have a cry, allow the remaining 15 minutes to listen to upset feelings. So it means that rather than it coming up and out at a time when you're just cooking dinner or you've got to get out of the house in the morning, having that space to connect and listen to upset feelings when you're available means that you can listen. And so they're going to be less likely to get upset when you're cooking dinner or needing to leave the house. Mm. It's a really powerful way of of connecting with our children and really helping them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it just it's such an easy thing to do really, isn't it? It's yeah. such an easy thing to, even when we're feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and unsupported and all those other things, it all of us can find five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, a couple of times a week. And that's really all it takes. So powerful. Yeah. Yes. And, and remembering it is just that short amount of time. Cause sometimes you go, Oh, if I'm playing and also the time is good for us because then you can think, Oh, then cause a lot of parents don't, well, myself included, um, I really don't want to play this game because it will just go on forever and you're just going to get upset when I go. Oh, it just feels so awful. So then you go, well, I'm just not going to do it. Whereas knowing that you can only play for 10 minutes and then expecting the crying and knowing that that's helpful, it just sharpens you to go, okay, I can do this. You know, worst case, it's going to take me 20 minutes, half an hour. And then, and then everything's amazing afterwards. It is. Yeah, so good. And it's a really lovely thing that you brought up just there about anticipating the feelings. So if we go into special time thinking we're going to connect with our kids and then afterwards they're going to be so happy and they're, they're going to be wonderful and everything's going to be roses and unicorns, um, it, it can be a bit of a shock when the timer goes off and often these big feelings come up. Mm-hmm. Whereas if instead we go in there thinking, okay, I've got 45 minutes, I'm going to do 10 minutes of special time And I'm going to anticipate that at the end of that, we're going to have some big feelings coming up. And so I've got half an hour available at the end of it to be listening to feelings. And I know that at the end of that 45 minutes of invested time, attention and care, my child's going to be amazing. Mm. Yeah, truly. Yeah, so So magic. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, thank you. So what about um, some of the other varieties of attachment play so there are nine in total that Aletha describes in her book what about things like symbolic play what what are your um so in symbolic play is is where we can support our children to heal from specific fears or, or specific traumas that they might have by recreating playful situations that are in some way connected to something that they've struggled with so I mean I know you know this I'm just sharing this with the listeners so things like for example if our child has had a scary experience with a dog we can do some symbolic play where we play the part of a dog and or we play the part of being very scared of everything in the house like scared of them scared of a chair scared of our shadows scared of the cat scared of scared of everything so it's a way of supporting our kids really helpfully specifically with some um, fears and, and trauma do you have any things? yeah it is because it's helpful to do that after say if your child is already scared of a dog um it's also really helpful if your child particularly around medical procedures So my son um, cut his head badly and needed stitches. And then we needed to later on get the stitches taken out. And I knew that this was not going to be great. He's not going to love having these stitches removed from his forehead. So I did a lot of that sort of play. Actually, when I say a lot, we did it that morning. So again, this is the power of play. You can do it really quickly. And actually, I got my daughter to do most of the play because she's old. I said, Emily, you've got to do some play quickly. We're going to go to the doctor's surgery. Uh, let's do this. And um, so playing that Emily was the doctor and that George was going to have his stitches taken out. And she was just doing it in such a ridiculous way and not quite sure where the stitches were, running after him, a bit of a chasing game, which is incorporated into another aspect of the play. And then I think George then turned around and he then became the doctor and was sort of stabbing Emily in various parts of her. And she's like, going, no, don't get me. And the beauty of that is that you can play it out beforehand. The child gets a chance to, to laugh, which releases tension, um, to perhaps then be the role of the doctor so that they are the one who's inflicting the pain. So it gives them an opportunity to feel more powerful. 
And it means then that they are really prepared by the time that they get to that experience. And the doctor commented going, I've never seen a four-year-old be this calm about having stitches removed from their forehead because George just sat in my lap. He was calm as anything, wasn't phased by it at all. And that is the power of the play. Oh, I love that example. Thank you. That's so helpful. Yes, it's magical. And how wonderful to know this and how wonderful mm. that you that you were familiar with these techniques and that you were able to support him because so often, particularly in a mainstream parenting approach, you would be saying to your child, you know, now come on, you know, this is for your go- own good. Yes. And we, you just have to suck it up and man up and all of those other things. Well, you can have an ice cream and it's all over and, oh, exactly. please don't, and bribery and, oh my God, you know. And so, yeah, there's often a panic about it. Whereas if you just go, okay, I'm going to play for, and it really wasn't that long, 10 minutes before my daughter went to school because I'd forgotten to do it. I was going, oh my God, the doctor's appointment today. We've got to quickly do this. Um, it doesn't take long. And then if there are upset feelings, and obviously every time we talk about play, if there are upset feelings, that's the time to also stop and listen to them. But the play is so helpful, way more helpful than talking it through, saying we're going to go to the doctor's surgery and then the doctor's going to stick this God, scissors near your forehead and cut these stitches out. You know, that sounds terrifying. Whereas if you do it playfully and and be silly, the fear goes away. Mm. Yeah, and it really, it really is speaking their language, isn't it? It's such a, such a universal human language, particularly for children. That playful. Yeah, that's a great example. Thank you. My favourite type of attachment play is the power reversal games, which I just love. (laughs) Are you happy to talk a bit about that? I mean, obviously, it's such a, it's often quite an active thing, but it doesn't have to be, and it's it's such a a beautiful way to support our children to release feelings, particularly about disempowerment. As you were saying earlier about so many times in our children's lives, we get to choose and we get to decide what they do and they just have to go along with it. So often our children do have lots of feelings around that where they haven't had agency and choice, but also feelings of anger, feelings of frustration, other things. Mm. How, How have you used that? Well, I think particularly the frustration is a really good one to use power reversal. Power reversal, I think, actually un, sort of runs through most of Aletha, you know, the description of most of Aletha's games. And I use that as the key principle for pretty much all the games because, oh gosh, it's hard to sort of differentiate them, but we do a lot of wrestling games, which I know comes under the, uh, what does she call it? Physical, active or something. Physical yes. games. Or, yeah, yeah. But it's about, I'm like, just... Actually, there was a uh, sort of contingency game. As, oh, I don't know. There's loads of games here. But, the power, <laughs> like going through. but just even just getting your child just to push you over. And you can. this is the beauty of it. You can start this from such a young age. It can be from when your child is starting to just sit up, your baby sitting up, and then they just get to push you over. And then that's them being powerful. Or if you're just being really silly, um, Oh, chasing game. My son loves this. And he asks for it now when he's got other friends over and his friends are like, what, what's going on? Your mom's going to chase us around the house. It's a bit weird. Anyway, and then they love it because I'm just chasing and I'm pretending to be this scary monster and I'm sort of bimbling around. And um, of course I can't get them because they're so fast. And then <laughs> if I happen to manage to grab one of them, then they can wriggle out. What? You've got away from me? No. <laughs> and they just love it. And he's nearly eight and still loves this game so much. And um, and you don't, like, if I'm high energetic, then I am running around and it's all fun. But there was a time when I'd broken a bone in my foot and I ha- was wearing a boot. So I couldn't really move much, but I'm just lumbering around really slowly. But oh, I'm a really scary monster. You can't see the actions. I'm actually sort of pretending to be a scary monster. I'm <laughs> but, um, but, you know, just and then they just run around and I'm actually not moving that far. But that's sort of that power where they're faster than me. They can get away from me. And I'm this bimbling idiot. What's more fun for children, which I'm never very good at, is falling over or crashing into things because as children, especially when they're little, they are falling over and they are crashing into things and it hurts. And, you know, they see all these capable adults not doing that. So for us to then do it and just like fall on the floor, it's it's uh, very healing for them because they get to, they get to be the ones who are not doing that. And then they're more powerful and capable and faster and brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Such a good one. And I've used and it. simple with no equipment. 
Yes, yeah. Sorry, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I just remembering like when there were conflicts between children, either conflicts between the siblings or conflicts with other children when we were out and about or difficulties connecting with other children when we were out and about. And it was such a great way to say, come on, everyone, bet none of you can catch me. And then, yeah, it, they, of course, could. Um, and they all got away and all that kind of thing. So they're just so it's so such a beautiful way of supporting our children to feel strong and powerful and to have some fun and to be silly. And I really loved as well the permission it gave me to be silly. And I think yes. power reversal was the one, the really key one that that taught me that it was okay to be to be slow and to be, you know, all of those things because it was just it was just fun and it was so like I you know, I didn't mind. It was fine to lose games, to to deliberately be bad at things and for our kids to be good at things and to be you know, the strong one, the fast one, whatever it was. I just think it's so healing for everyone in our family. I've, I've loved it. I just can't do it enough and it's still still something that we do in our family um of course my kids now know <laughs> that's what I'm doing <laughs> yes. but it's still fun and it's still it still creates that laughter and that connection and now- yeah my son doesn't know yet so he's going every time we do a wrestling game I always win I'm going oh yeah you do <laughs> so then I'd play a game where I'd win like the first two, two rounds and then ultimately they would win and yeah what you're saying about it's fun because even though I really wanted to have this beautiful connection, I just still treated parenting really seriously. You know, you've got to be quite serious about this and we've got to teach our children and it's all got to be serious. And uh, this play just allows it to be, it doesn't have to be serious. In fact, it's way more enjoyable, but also more effective. The silly we are, the more fun we have, we enjoy it more, our kids enjoy it more. And that fosters a stronger connection too. So yeah, the the fun and the silliness. I would also offer another one, um, like you saying, you know, you gathering everybody together is I would do it if I um we were going to a wedding one time and my daughter didn't really know any of the other children there. And I wanted her to be able to sit throughout the wedding so that I could then enjoy it. But I also wanted her to then sort of connect a bit with the other children. So I started off just doing a chasing game with her just before we went to sit down um, outside. And then there were some other kids who were like standing on the edge looking, going, oh, that looks really fun. So then I said, well, come on, you come in and I'm trying to get you. And um, and that was so great because then Emily was then able to sit quietly and calmly and happily during the wedding service. And she'd started to make a connection with the other children, which meant it was easier for her to go off and play with them. So it, it's it works wonders for our own children, for their benefit, for our benefit and for other children around about who want to yep. join in oh yes yeah I love that so awesome <laughs> so <laughs> and awesome. simple yeah it's, it's just really simple and uh, I I like keeping things as simple as possible because often in the heat of the moment you can't think yeah and you're you know you might be frazzled so if you if you have some core games that are just your go-to games like for us it's wrestling which we'll talk about in a minute um chasing game and a sock game and that's it really. I mean, we'll do other stuff, but those, if I'm, if things are going a bit pear-shaped, right, I still quick rest, chasing game. Yes. Often the simpler, the simpler, the better, isn't it with play? And um, a couple of other things that's made me think of is that we can so often just follow our children's lead. So even if we just initiate the play and initiate a power reversal element in that play, they will then create the game that we can then follow um, or bring up. They will bring up if it's like a, um, a symbolic play thing, they will often bring up exactly what it is that we need to be focusing on, that they need to be working through. Um, and the other thing is just to clarify for people that you don't need to get tied up in, in knots about, oh, which type of attachment yes. play game should I do now? Should I do, is it a moment for a symbolic play game or is it? A, because like you say, often these elements of all these different types of play all converge into the games that we're, we're choosing to do with our children. And so it's separated into these different areas in order to clarify exactly how that can be helpful. But of course, it all just meshes together in the yeah. moment and it becomes about fun and connection. So, yeah. What about like regression play where we are playing games with our children that we would normally be doing with very young children? Um, like we might be pretending that our child needs a nappy when they're nine or we might be pretending to breastfeed our five-year-old when the baby's, new baby's just arrived. How, how have you used that in your family and, and how can that be helpful? Well, it can be really helpful because like you said, when you've 
it's particularly when for young children and then there's a new baby and as a parent you go oh well at least my three-year-old you know can toilet themselves and, and look after themselves and I can just focus on the baby but it can be a source of real frustration when actually now the three-year-old is like wanting to be carried everywhere and suddenly you know wanting to wear nappies again or is refusing to get out of nappies or all of these things and they're being babyish and we can get really frustrated going, come on, you know, <laughs> you're not that, you know, you're perfectly capable of doing all of these things. And so we can be quite harsh and go, no, I know you can do this. Come on, you need to do this. Whereas actually the, and I love actually how Aletha does separate these types of games out and acknowledging that children do regress. Well, they regress in that they want they want that attention again. And we can then go, well, they're just doing it for attention as if that's a really bad thing, but they actually need it, particularly when our attention is now focused on the new baby. So to, to just go, okay, my child actually needs me to wrap her up in a towel and carry her around and coo over her and pretend she's just the most beautiful baby in the world, because then that helps our ch child for that need that they need to feel that again. And, and often we don't touch our older children as much because we're not carrying them because now we're carrying a younger child. So to carry and to just make a real fuss of them that they're just this beautiful little baby helps them to move through that. And actually then they'll come out and then they'll be perfectly capable of going back to doing all the things that they could do originally, but they need that reassurance and that reconnection with you. So allowing that to happen and like you said, you know, following our child's lead can be so helpful because that they're showing us very clearly what they're needing. And in that time, they're needing a little bit of TLC, extra TLC. And even though on, as us parents, we can go, oh my gosh, now I have to do this as well. But actually that short amount of time delighting in your older child, pretending they're a little baby just works wonders and will make your life so much easier. I didn't have it so much because my eldest was six years old when my youngest was born, but still there were the challenges that came up then. So it wasn't quite baby-like, but there was other behaviors that were coming up. But so acknowledging that our children need, they need that. And that attention from us is so powerful and necessary for them. Mm, yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, clients worry that if they do this kind of play with their children, it will encourage this sort of babyishness behavior in their children who, like you said, should now be yes. more than capable of doing these things by themselves, but actually it's completely the opposite. And I loved how you said that sometimes we we might judge our children and say, oh, they're just doing it for attention. And what I love trying to reframe for parents is, is to say, oh, they're just doing it for connection mm -hmm. rather than, oh, they're just doing it for attention because, yeah, we, they're just doing it for connection. Yeah, that's exactly what they need in that moment. And, and I'm the person to be able to offer that to them. And then you've met all their needs for connection, like you say, and they're off. That's it. They're happy. Fine. They're yeah. perfectly happy. So mm -hmm. yes, it's a, it's a little investment. It's moments of little investment. But then we, we, we're changing our paradigm because, you know, we can view, oh, they're just doing it for attention or we can feel I'm pandering to them. And the more I pander to them, the more they're going to want to behave this way. Or um, a lot of parents can worry that if I use play in response to them being challenging, my child being challenging behavior, is that encouraging them to behave terribly because we're rewarding them with play. And so we need to reframe that actually by playing with our children, we're giving them exactly what they need. And when we do that, then our children feel better, they behave better, and it, it makes life easy again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's supporting them to be cooperative. It's supporting yeah. to be their loving, gorgeous selves because it's it's built that connection and it's allowed them to offload some feelings through the laughter as well. It's just so powerful, isn't it? I love this conversation. Actually, it's getting me really even more passionate. And like, yeah, I love it. What about in the moment then when our children are behaving in a way that we're finding really challenging and they're not cooperating and we know that they've got enough, we know that they've got enough information and they understand why we need to be doing this and we know that their immediate needs have all been met. How how can we bring play in, in what are some of the ways that we can bring play in to actually elicit them to be cooperative when they're being really challenging and not not cooperating with us. Not doing what we want them to do. Yes. Because, <laughs> I mean, often like we, you know, a key part of aware parenting is that we're not going to have punishments and rewards. And then we're like, okay, well, then what? What do I do now? Yeah. yeah. 
it's micro moments I find because your child can do something and you could go oh my god stop doing that and then that leads you on to one path of getting annoyed with them and then their behavior worsening and you're getting more and more annoyed and you're stuck in this cycle of just like annoyance and shouting and just like awful or it can just be such a, a, a tiny little thing going oh, okay, I'm going to connect with my child. And it leads you off into a completely different path where it does ultimately lead to more joy and connection. And just by simply moving in with a kiss and a cuddle sometimes and going, oh, little children who do this get a thousand kisses. Or um, I, if my child's, if my son, because he's still quite little, I'll sometimes just flip him upside down and we'll sort of walk around the house with him hanging upside down. It doesn't, it's sort of, how can you connect and be silly and playful in a way to connect rather than to berate and tell off. Mm. So if my son sometimes will hit out at me and then I might hit back at him in a playful way, <laughs> just to be clear. And so we're ending up in like this sort of scrappiness where we're just sort of like tapping each other's hands in a scrappy way. And, and that can be enough to help him move through that frustration, which led to him hitting me in the first place. So not, so trying to respond in, in a playful way rather than thinking I've just got to tell them off or, I've got to tell them what's unacceptable. It's it's there's a sort of a playful and a lightness to it. I hope that's not being too vague. But I often just go in for, oh, are you doing this again? And I'll just snuggle in and kiss him on his on his face, or I'll turn it into a chasing game. Mm-hmm. Mm. In fact, we did that with my daughter the other day. She was being annoying, and my husband was getting grumpy, and I was just like, oh, I'm pretty sure she just wants you to go and give her 6,000 kisses, and we both went over, and we were like, oh, and she's 16, and she knew what we were doing, and she was like, oh, God, here we go again, but actually, it just it just it. switched it up. It was really, really nice, and I love that game. I can't remember whether that was Aletha's or Marion's or, or from Larry Cohen's beautiful book, but um, the, the She's Mine, She's Mine game. Oh, yes. I love that. So where do you want to talk a bit about that? No, no, you said you said that one. It's a really good one. It's where both parents or who are the adults in the room to a mock fight over the child. So we might grab the child's leg and say, oh, no, they're, they're mine. I want to give them 500 kisses. And then the other parent would grab them. And obviously it's very gentle, but you're grabbing them saying, no, but it's my turn. I want to give them 10,000 kisses. And the other parent goes, well, in that case, I'm going to give them 20,000 kisses. <laughs> and it's just this beautiful way of, of showing our children how, how loved they are and having fun. And they just love that game. Mm. It's nothing nicer than being fought over by how who loves you the most I mean what an amazing experience and feeling to have yeah and it's and I think it's really just having that more of a playful attitude and then you will come up with your way of doing things like for me it's like I've become the kissing monster and I try and kiss him and go oh I hate kisses and I'm going right I'm going to come and kiss you all over you know and it's it's having that sort of way how can I connect with my child in a way that they really like so sometimes Emily and I will be a bit you know, argy bargy, but playfully, and we'll turn that into a playfulness or it's, it's having, I think it's also us as parents having permission to be playful and lightness rather than thinking I've got to be serious and I've got to, to tell them what's acceptable and they've got to learn that they cannot behave this way. And there's this real harshness that comes, um, by, by following that path, which I have felt many times. So knowing that it's actually it's actually really good for your child to be playful with them. It's really helpful and it's going to turn things around a lot faster. So yeah, going in for a kiss or thinking that they're farting and it's hilarious or, you know, poo and bum jokes are just the the funniest jokes possible. <laughs> so, you know, you just like your dignity goes out yeah. the window. <laughs> yeah. I love that though. It's so true. I love it. I mean, yeah. There's always, I mean, even when I was at my most exhausted and could really think of nothing to do, it was always possible just to make a fart noise. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean it wins every time. <laughs> and just on that, acknowledging that there are times when we can't play. We're just like, I'm actually done. I really can't do this now. Um, And that's okay because we've got to honor our needs. And the more times that we can play when we are in the right mood means that our children will be much more accepting for those times when we we just can't do it. Just, And also want to acknowledge that many of us started out going, I'm just not a playful person. I just can't do this. I don't know what to do and would get mind blanks. And that's why I'm saying I'm I'm hoping I'm not sound too um, vague with the, we're just moving for a kiss or a chasing game. Because sometimes we can just 
be blank and just going, well, I, I don't know what to do because our parents, most parents didn't play. I mean, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. We didn't, we didn't do that. We'd play board games and my parents would connect with me, but not in this, this visceral, physical silliness. So it can be hard. It can be really hard to then do that for our children when we haven't received that ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's really helpful. I learned how to play by reading Larry Cohen's book, Playful Parenting, by reading Aletha's book, Attachment Play, by having sessions with Marion and by hanging out with my aware parenting buddy who was also really interested and really passionate about play. And between the two of us, we could always come up with silly, silly games. But it it is a it is something that we'd learn to do. And there are times when we just don't have capacity to do it. And that is okay. So yeah, I think it's really important. There are lots of times when my children have been in a situation where it really would have been ideal for me to move in with some form of attachment play and I just couldn't do it. Mm. And that's that's reality. So yeah, I think that's really helpful to to say that. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And then the other side of it, because I found myself doing this yesterday with my son. Was I go? He's going. Can we play wrestling game? Wrestling game. I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just need to do this first. Yeah, just stop. And he's getting bugging me, and I'm starting to get a little bit irritated. Um, and then I went, Hells, just stop. Play wrestling game with him, and then go back to doing the job you're doing. Because, and we can just think, Yeah, yeah. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And our children become more. Well, they start off whiny, and then they can get more urgent, and then they start doing things that are we all know that they shouldn't be doing. Um. Whereas in actual fact, sometimes if we can just invest that five, 10 minutes, like yesterday, I then went and did the wrestling game and then I went back to doing my job and it was so much more smooth. Whereas if I had carried on going in a minute, in a minute, in a minute, I'd have ended up shouting at him because it was just getting so irritating. So also sort of seeing if we can, before we get to that real irritation with our children to actually try and be playful early on, rather than going in a minute, in a minute, just wait until I finish this and then I'll do it. Because if we can, yeah, invest the time earlier on, it 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 means that then you're much more able to continue to do whatever you were doing or wanting to do. Yeah, and sometimes it's a dance as well, isn't it, where we offer some play and then some feelings come out or we haven't quite judged it right and we've mm. gone in with something a bit too silly and our kids are like, nah, this isn't going to work and then some feelings come up or... I mean, yeah, the other day I was, um, we were driving home and my daughter was driving for the first time and we were on this long five hour drive. And she, can I just say that is the ultimate power reversal? (laughs) Must be. Oh my God. Yes. yes. Uh, um, but anyway, she she was driving and unfortunately she hit a bird and she was really upset about oh. it because my she's really uh, yeah, she feels mm. things deeply, my beautiful girl. And she was really upset about it and she had a bit of a cry and I was just listening to her while she was crying and and driving and I was like <laughs> <laughs> But then soon after that I made a stupid joke and about what had happened and she was kind of she sort of went into laugh and then she went back into tears again and I was like oh Joss you really misjudged that that was like too soon (laughs) moment so it is this sort of dance where we might go in and offer play and sometimes it works and then some feelings might come up and then we might be listening to feelings and then they might get aggro and then we might reach our limit and be like I can't do this anymore I need to step Mm. outside and so it's not it's not always this smooth, I'm going to do this game, it's going to work fabulously, and then my kid's going to feel amazing. So it, it, it is messy sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, it can be really messy, really messy sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and also then you can think, well, play's, play's not working or I'm rubbish at this. Uh, you know, what I've tried just isn't working and I'm obviously not a playful person, so I'm just going to give up. And um, and knowing that, yeah, the, I, I like that analogy of the dance because – Sometimes something will work a treat and other times it's just the worst thing possible that you could ever suggest. Um, And so knowing what it really comes down to is how can I connect with my child? So there are times when it is just about, and and this is also, um, I think when sometimes we start to do play, we can think, well, I'll just bring play to any situation. And there's times when your child is, you know, already upset and so play isn't a way to distract our children from their how they're feeling. It's not like going, oh, let's go and do this. Now, this is really cool when they're having a big cry. It's about connection. So when they're upset, we stay and listen to them. 
but then at other times, then we can try the play. And like you said, sometimes I've listened to my son in particular, and he'll be in throes of big cries. And then suddenly we have a little funny moment in there, and then he's back into the tears again. And there's a real fluidity with the emotions because tears and and laughter, sorry, yeah, laughter and tears can be so interlinked. And we often say we're crying with laughter and that can bring, and so the play, you can go, oh, I'm rocking this. I'm so awesome. And then suddenly your child is crying and that's because the, the feelings are bubbling up and, and we just connect with whatever's coming, going on for our children in that moment. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, like you say, there are times when we just can't. And then yeah. sometimes sometimes the game is just as I remember if I really had nothing else left, I would just lie on the floor. Yes. And yeah, all I can do right now is lie down on the ground and then your kids would jump on you or they might that might then turn into like a contingency play where they might sort of touch part of your body and you might make silly noises or whatever. But it's just it's a component and it's a really valuable yes. component of aware parenting, but it's it's always in in conjunction with the other aspects, the other aspects, the other strategies that we use, isn't it? Yeah. I'm aware of the time, so I don't want to keep you too long, but I wonder if we might just chat briefly about control patterns and using play as a way of moving in when our children are using control patterns to uh, suppress their feelings and how play can be such a helpful uh, part of that process. Yeah, definitely. My daughter used to bite nails, her nails a lot. And um, and I was just like, I don't know what to do. And then I'd explain, you know, I'd do all the, you know, going through, does she need more information about not biting her nails? And that if she keeps biting her nails, she's probably going to get worms because that's how you get worms. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then I would get really frustrated because I could see that she's biting her nails, which means I'm probably doing a bad job because I'm not listening to all of her feelings. And so then I'd make it about me. And then and then I'd just get frustrated going, stop biting your nails, which none of that helped. <laughs> so what did help was play. And um, somebody told me this, and, and I'm so grateful to them, and just helped me to be really silly. And so I would move in going... Oh, are those nails yummy? Oh, can I have a bite too? Yum, 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 yum. And she was a bit like bemused by that. But what really she loved was I would then go, oh, I'm going to save the nails from the evil Emily. No, don't. You can't go in there, no. And moving in with play, being really silly about it, it shifted it. And I couldn't even tell you when I noticed it shifted, but it just shifted it. And I think whatever a challenge our child is having, whether it's aggressive behavior or anxiety or a particular control pattern, we can use that challenge to then help them go through it rather than sort of skirting around it. And play is just brilliant. It's just such an effective way. And it was actually the play that helped shift the nail biting more than listening to tears. I mean, obviously it was all in conjunction, but bringing a lightness to it was helpful for Emily, but it was also really helpful for me because I was getting really frustrated by it. So me being playful meant that I could be light and ha ha rather than like, oh my God, stop doing it. So it was really helpful for me as well. But yeah, that was saving the the nails from the evil Emily was was brilliant. Yeah, that's so good. And and as Marion always says that when we're engaging in control patterns, it's always because we're feeling disconnected, disconnected from yes. ourselves and then all the other painful feelings that we might be having and that we are using the control pattern to suppress. And it's the same for our children, of course. And then when we go into that judgment of, oh, my God, I'm such a bad parent, they are doing this, and I never wanted them to have any control patterns ever, so I'm a total failure, obviously. Total failure, yeah. <laughs> and that will that all adds to the disconnection. Whereas if instead we can do exactly the opposite, which is to move in with connection, to move in with lightheartedness and to move in with playful fun, it's so powerful uh, for then allowing our, supporting our children to release the feelings that were causing them to engage in that control pattern in the first place mm. and to then not, not need it nearly so much. So yeah, it's so helpful, isn't it? Yeah, really helpful. Um, and you can do that with, you know, she also used to, uh, twirl her hair to the point that one side of her hair was shorter than the other side because she was pulling on it and so again just being playful and yes giving our children what they actually need in those moments because they are doing those things for a really good reason and when we acknowledge that there's a really good reason why that they're biting their nails or sucking their thumb or whatever it is and to offer our children connection and a way to release their feelings it's that's what shifts things not rationalizing it and talking about it mm. 
Yeah, yeah, because then there's there's no judgment there. It's just mm. it's just playful. It's connecting. It's lighthearted. Thank you, thank you for explaining that that way. So, anything else that you'd like to share about play that we haven't talked about? We haven't covered every single one of the um, nine, but we've shared a lot about it. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Yeah, I think the rough housing, which I can't remember what Elisa calls it, but um, it it's a physical physical games. I think she physical calls it. games. I just love them and. Um, boys often initiate that type of game themselves because they just want to like they're really wrong bunches and they just want it and that's what my son wants to do he just wants to do wrestling game all the time Um, but also offering that it's really helpful for our girls too and the more that I especially if they've got some anxiety coming up and they're emotionally you know nervous about something doing these physical games really helps everybody but sometimes we can go oh I'm gonna my my daughter's not initiating it so I'm not going to do that but to keep doing that with our girls as well as our boys um, because the more that they can feel that physical confidence which comes from playing with us and pushing us over and having that touch that you know that that touch of our children is so vital which we do less and less the older they get Um, and when they can have that then that really translates into a lot more physical confidence as well and um, yeah I'm a big fan of I'm fortunate we've got a big king size bed and we used to when I was co-sleeping had another bed next to it so we'd had like a room full of bed <laughs> and it was amazing and we just lots of rough and tumble and and like you were saying earlier on with you know if siblings are fighting or something like that it can be really helpful to all do that together and so often that the siblings can then gang up on mom and push mom over and pushing dad over I mean especially if you've got a big man and pushing him over it's like wow look at me I'm so strong so I love those rest those rough and tumble games I think they're they're brilliant and my daughter she's 13 nearly 14 we don't do it so much but every now and again I think come on (laughs) just come on and then I managed to get her in but not so often but yeah my son will just play all day long yeah. But I just don't do that. I say, right, five. I, I'll put, I will put the timer on for 10 minutes because I just – and also they get big. <laughs> He's genuinely getting big and strong now. I'm not pretending anymore. Yeah, and no, he I loves love that, that feeling. Yeah, I love that switch when uh, mm. – like my son can will pick me up and he'll chuck me on the sofa. <laughs> it's wow. like, okay. <laughs> we're not pretending anymore (laughs) yes yeah and and, and I know that some mums don't like the wrestling game so um another game that I really like is I just throw my son on the bed and he's still fairly light that I can hold him but just that act which after a while will hurt my back after a while but you can do it for a while but if you don't like the actual wrestling component just throwing your children around just really helps yeah yeah, we used to play. There were a couple that we used to do. One was like the rugby scrum, where like the child, my child, would come in to me and sort of go down as if they were going into a rugby scrum and put their hands around their my waist, and they would try and push me backwards, and I would oh, wow. try and push them backwards, and of course, I would put up just enough resistance mm. and then allow them to win. Um, so that was a fun one, and and often that pushing, that physical pushing, is really. Yes so powerful for 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 the other for the release of feelings isn't it the other one we used to play we also had this huge mattress with several other mattresses and then some extra mattresses all on the floor and we used to play the push off the bed game where and collaboratively they would gang up to push me off the bed um that was a that was a great favorite and I like that you brought up fathers because often the playful parenting not always by any means, but often the playful stuff is easier for fathers, isn't it? And the listening Mm -hmm. to feelings is sometimes harder for fathers, not always, but sometimes. And so, yeah, these are really great games that fathers can play. And I I noticed in my family, my husband used to do a lot of the the wrestling on the bed thing because I've got injuries and sometimes that would get, I would get hurt, but it was a really good one for them. And I just had to make sure that he was reminded from time to time (laughs) that they're supposed to win, remember? (laughs) Yes, you know, they're eight years old. (laughs) You can actually win this game. Let's not. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all that information, Helen. That's so helpful. So how can people find out more about you? Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Joss. Um, They can find me. My podcast is Parenting with Play. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook, both with Helena Mooney underscore Parenting with Play. Um, 
So, and my website, parentingwithplay.com.au. And um, yeah, I've got various ways to help parents either one-to-one or I have a couple of online courses for if you've got a baby or if you've got a child up until eight years old. So yeah, thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I always ask parents at the end just to share if there was one thing that you'd wish you'd known at the beginning or one thing that you would give as a as a key advice to somebody who's just starting off in this process, what, what would that be? Somebody gave me the advice about being a good enough mother. And this is when I was in the early days with Emily as a baby. And I was going, no, I'm going to be brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to be brilliant. Because I thought that parenting was going to be easy. And actually, parenting is a lot harder than we often think it's going to be, because it's not just about what's going on for a child, it's about what's going on for us. So to be really gentle really gentle on ourselves and to know that we all struggle everybody struggles even the best parenting instructors in the world struggle with their own children because it, it's it's the I think it's the ultimate personal development um, approach or thing that we can ever do so it is going to bring up our our stuff um, so to get support and to just be really gentle on ourselves and then that means that we can then be the mum that we want to be more of the time when we do have that support so yeah, being gentle and getting getting support, I think. It's so nice. And it's just so important, I think, as well for us as aware parenting instructors to share that, to normalise how hard it is at times and that we all struggle with parenting at times and that we all reach out for support. And you know, I have sessions still and I know that you do too and that we all have our listening partners and we really need to normalise that it's, it's hard sometimes for all of us and Yes, being good enough, being gentle with ourselves, being compassionate with ourselves is so important. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. So I will put those links to your website and everything on the in the show notes. And yeah, I just want to say thanks again so much. I hope this has been, I'm sure this has been very inspiring for people to uh, learn so much from you about attachment play and all the different games that they might want to try out with their kids. Uh, so please, uh, if you found this helpful, then please drop us a line. Let us know what you're playing and what you're doing with your children and how you're incorporating some of Helena's beautiful ideas into your parenting journey. Thank you so much, Helena. I'm really grateful. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.